Okay. Well, but anyways, we'll do something about this. We got angry guys up there. Psychologically speaking, anger is a one of the primary emotions. I teach psychology at school, and recently had to go back and take some coursework to be able to teach at a college now. So now I can teach psychology at college, but I can also teach it to high school students. And we know that anger is a it's a primal emotion. It's one that exists for all of us, along with fear, and sadness, and, and happiness. And uh, you know, many times these these primal emotions, sometimes they're a blessing and a curse. We always think of anger as something being like, you know, anger is, you know, we don't want anger because anger is bad. And, but I, I really believe that anger, like all the other emotions, is something that's programmed into us. We're hardwired for it. God created us that way. Anger has a, has a point. It has a reason. And... Um, the problem with anger is that, for whatever reason, us humans, us people, we like to use anger as play hide and seek with the other emotions. I might be fearful. I'm living in this culture, and men aren't supposed to show fear. Well, I can't show fear, so instead I'll show anger. I'm really angry. We. Uh, when I, uh, Caleb, my youngest, was, uh, oh Lord, he must have been maybe not even like a year, maybe a year old, just toddling around still. And we're sitting there in the house, and I was in a bad mood, working on something, and Yola says, I need to go check on something down the road. I think I had to go check orders or something for this shirt thing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you can go do what you got to do. I'll keep an eye on Caleb. Well, I didn't realize it, but Caleb had gone out the door and had left with her, and they had gone to um, to the place. Well, I didn't realize that. So I'm sitting here and I'm working. I look up. Where's Caleb? Where's he at? Caleb, come on out of here. Where you at? No Caleb. So I'm up looking around the house. Where's Caleb? He's got to be Where's Kalen? He's not here. Where's Kalen? Get out of here, boys! We're picking up and yelling at the older boys. Get out. So we're running around the backyard looking for Kalen. And, and I'm thinking, oh, he's wandered off into the subdivision, you know, that we lived in. And he could be any place. So I'm just freaking out. In reality, I'm scared to death. But I'm not going around showing that. I'm, I'm going around just yelling and screaming and, yeah, this is horrible. I'm masking my uh, my anger. <coughs> anger is something that all of us from time to time have to deal with. And I want to talk to you this morning about three men, three angry men from the Bible. Three angry guys who uh, are going to find that you know, anger did not serve them very well, but keep in mind, I do think anger is, is God-given. I think it's something, you know, we're, we're created in the image of God. I believe that anger is a, an emotion. We know scientifically our brains are primed for it. And anger has a, a point. That there is a purpose to it, but we can also do great destruction with anger. I want to start by looking at the story of Cain from the Bible. Uh, those of you who may never have read the Bible, maybe you've heard the story of Cain and Abel. 
Well, Cain was the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. Okay, so God creates Adam and Eve, and, and they do their thing, and oh, they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and all the trouble starts. And, but they go on, and they have... Uh, 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 I love the different translations of the Bible. You read, Adam knew Eve. Adam uh, got with Eve. Adam did something else with Eve, you know. Little kids would always read that. And go, what, what do you mean he knew her? Like, she, she is cousin or no, no, they never mind. Adam and Eve brought forth their firstborn, Cain. Following that, then they had Abel, and families began. And he became a tiller of the ground while his brother Abel followed the pursuits of the pastoral life. He was more of the gardening type. Growing the stuff, looking after the, excuse me, uh, his brother Abel was more looking after the, the lambs, uh, livestock, that, that sort of thing. But Cain, the Bible says, was a, was a very sullen, self-willed, probably somewhat vindictive man, um, would even show defiance before God. I love the out of Genesis. It talks about how not Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, "I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord." Well, they had a son, and again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering, <coughs> and uh, so did the other one. And there they are, looking at our. Our offerings, and sure enough, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But uh, poor old Cain, uh, he had no regard for that. I always thought that was, man, that's pretty rough. There's only two of them in the whole world, and you're good, and you're not so good. Wow, pretty harsh. You can bet Cain is, uh, he's ticked off. God and Cain have a, have a conversation. The Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? What's the problem? And Cain, you know, looks to God and, and, and you know, I don't know what it, exactly he said, but, you know, why is it you like his offering? You don't like mine. This, you know, this isn't fair. And the Lord tells him, look, anger, your sin, you know, it's like a, like an enemy ready to pounce, crouching at the door. Sin is always looking for an opportunity to strike. And if you're not careful, Cain, it'll be the end of you. James chapter 1 refers to sin as like a thief waiting in the dark. He's coming along, he's going to, to bind you up, tie you up, get rid of you. God said, you have to master this. Cain couldn't master his sin. His anger was like these cords that just bound him up for punishment. And you know how the story went. He was so jealous of Abel, he, he killed him, murdered him. The, the blood of Abel cried out to the Lord. I think God somehow, you know, when, when, through the blood, there's power in, in the blood and 
God has a connection to us through that. And sure enough, despite God's warning, Cain could not master his sin. Could not master that anger. And don't forget, God loved Cain. But while he forgives, he doesn't take away the consequences of sin. God said, Cain, you're, you're put the mark on him. Away he went. He said, Lord, this is too much. People were going to, you know, they'll kill me if they see me. I'll put the mark on you. They'll leave you alone. And off he goes. The punishment was there. It was severe. Let's look at another angry guy from the Bible. Balaam. Now we're really pulling off the dust here. You've never heard of Balaam, but if I throw in the donkey, maybe you, you, you kind of I might refresh your memory a little bit. Balaam comes out of a kind of an obscure book of the Bible. Most people don't turn to Numbers and start reading the Bible there. But hidden in the back of Numbers is a story about um, the Israelites are going through the, the, the New Promised Land. They're taking out these different tribes. They're trying to subdue the land. And they get to this one area called Moab. And the king who lived there, a guy by the name of Balak, he, uh, he had heard what these Israelites were capable of. He was scared. And these guys come on the scene, they wipe people out, they keep living along. I mean, the, their God is, is, is amazing. They have something really going for them. But, in their midst, there was a man by the name of Balaam. Balaam was a guy who probably had a true knowledge of the Most High God. For some reason, God had given him a, a blessing of prophecy. He could see the future. He could pass that off as, as wisdom. And this is a guy who probably had faith in God. Uh, he probably had received this prophetic gift directly from God. God probably had him to use him for some reason. Problem is, his heart was not turned towards God's heart, but to covetousness, to, to greed. Now the way this all works out, Balak was afraid of Israel, so he said, you know what, Balaam is, is just the guy we need. He seems to be in contact with, with God, he seems to, their God, and let's bring him down and uh, we'll, we'll give him a little bit of money and he'll go out and he'll curse them. So Balaam, you know, he comes on the scene, and you know, Balaam, I'm sure he knew that that was probably wrong. You know, look, I've been given this from God. And how can I go down here and curse these people? Well, Balak and his gang are like, well, you know, what's it, what's it worth to you? What's it going to cost us to get some kind of a... You know, nice little curse born. And so here's Balaam thinking, you know, I know the right thing to do, but just in case, maybe I can make a little money off of this. I'll warn him along the way that this isn't good, but, you know, I might be able to make a buck on that. So here's Balaam playing both sides. You know, he honestly wants to obey God, I think, but just in case he could, you know, he might be able to get some honor out of this, maybe a little wealth. You know, some little blessings here would be good. So he talks to God about it, and God basically says, look, you know, I don't want you to go. But if you're going to go, you're going to go. What are you going to do, you know? 
And uh, just make sure when you go, you tell them what I tell you to say. I'll be making stuff up. So Balaam decides now is the time to do that. I find it interesting that God would allow Balaam to go on this, this trip, despite the fact that Despite the fact that he didn't want him to go. I'm thinking, why didn't God just like say, well, you're not going? How is it? It's the same thing with, with sin in our own lives. Romans 1.24 says, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Give them over is a, is a, is a judicial term. It means that basically to hand you over to the jailer. So when we run headlong into sin, like Balaam heading off to, you know, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but, eh, you know, maybe God will let it go. God says, fine, go, but I'm handing you over to the jailer. This isn't going to work out for you the way that you think it is. How many times has that happened to us? There are things that we do that we know we shouldn't do, but we go into it anyways. How many of us are like Balaam? We use our spiritual gifts, perhaps, to make a buck, to gain glory, to gain wisdom. You know, one of the real problems I, one of the things I had to get past, if I was going to preach, you know, here at church for the next, looking for quite a few months now, uh, I don't want to get a big head. I don't want your money. I don't want your praise. I don't want that stuff. I don't want to turn into Balaam. I don't have a donkey to warn me, you know, about what's going on, you know. But uh, I've had a great joke, but I won't use that one there. Anyways, it involved the elders, but we won't go there. So. Uh, People get angry sometimes with people who are trying to save them. In the case of Balaam, off he goes, and he's going to go, and he's going to do this. And Sure enough, God's anger was kindled because he went. This is out of Numbers chapter 22. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Remember when I said a few weeks ago, I don't believe in wimpy angels, so... Here I'm riding the donkey, and Balaam's, he's heading off. I'm going to make some money, and I'm going to be God's man again, and this is going to be great. What does the donkey see? The angel, the angel of the Lord, not just any angel. The angel of the Lord standing there with a sword. Don't come any further. If you come through here, I'm going to strike you down. Balaam is totally oblivious to this. He has no clue. Of course, the donkey's like, yikes, we're not going down there. So what's Balaam do? Hits the donkey. Get move on! And this happens three times. Eventually, they, they get plowed into the wall, and the, Balaam hurts his foot, and he's hitting the donkey. And, and in my view, one of the most hilarious parts of the Bible, the donkey suddenly looks at him and says, what are you doing? You know, it's like something out of Shrek, you know, donkey. You know. Oh, I'm a talking donkey. You know, he tells him, say, what's going on? 
It's interesting. God himself was an adversary to Balaam. God said, I don't want you to, you're, you're going, go, just do what I tell you to do, knowing you're not going to do what I tell you to do. But I'm handing you over to the jailer here, and you're going to make your bed, and you're going to sleep in it. So off they go. I've often wondered, would God have really struck Balaam down with that angel if the donkey hadn't stopped? Would that angel really have done it? I think he would have. But finally, his eyes were opened. Balaam saw the angel. Almost as if the angel was saying to him, Balaam, this is your chance. You shouldn't go this way. But, go ahead. Do what you're going to do. God himself became an adversary to Balaam. God will be an adversary against us too if we continue to charge headlong into sin. I often think that God sometimes puts obstacles in our way to help prevent us from destroying ourselves, from making mistakes, from, from willfully disobeying Him and going into, into things. Like Balaam, we walk into sin, oblivious of the dangers that we find ourselves in until it's too late. It's like that with anger. You get into anger, he really starts getting going, you almost lose control. One of the things we know with uh, perpetrators of domestic violence, uh, people who, uh, in spousal abuse, people who, who beat their, their children, nothing can make them stop except for them. You can beg, you can plead, you can threaten them. They won't stop until they're ready to stop. That's what anger does. That's how anger can consume somebody. And in this case, Balaam was consumed by anger. I've got to get down and come on, donkey. Like Balaam, we can have profound spiritual insight. We can be Mr. and Mrs. Church, but yet be blind to our own state of sin. It's something we have to keep an eye on, especially if we have a tendency to misuse that God-given emotion called anger. Well, let's look at a, number three, the third angry man that I want to look at today. This would be uh, Jonah. One of my favorite Bible stories when I was a little kid. They always love to talk about Jonah and try to imagine, you know, what was the great fish? I always thought I was clever because I'd tell people it didn't say he's a whale. He's a great fish. My grandpa was like, what, like a giant bass or something? And bluegill swim up and get him? And I'm like, yeah, it could have been. I don't know. Of course, this here, kind of interesting, I, I tried to find something realistic to show you. This is a, a whale shark. He's a fish. Okay? And that's a real person there. Apparently they're harmless. They're like cows. They just kind of float around and eat things. That's about all they do. That guy can fit right in there, no problem. My friends who are atheists, they always laugh at this one. Like, oh, come on, you get swallowed by a whale, swallowed by a fish. What do you do? You get sucked into his belly there for three days and nights or whatever? I say, yeah. And it never ceases to amaze me how, you know, when I come from a perspective of, you know, 
Yeah, he got sucked in and he was inside a fish. God wanted him to be inside the fish and the fish came out and barfed him up and then on they went. That's why they call it a miracle. Duh, you know. They don't get the concept of a miracle. But uh, Jonah had been sent by God to warn the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was a place with a lot of wickedness going on there. Jonah didn't obey God. He, you know, he wanted to see Nineveh burn. Maybe God will call down some fire and blast us. I mean, to Jonah, his own nation of Israel at this time was probably in a state of one of their cycles of sin, as they constantly did, kind of mirrors the human existence. I often think Jonah was thinking, look, a, a good holy, heavenly bomb from heaven to blow up the city. That might get people to get back in line here in Israel. Maybe make a good example of the unrighteous. Get our own people in line. But now God wants me to go there and preach repentance. I hate these people. They're our enemies. We've been going around for years. Uh, you know, killing different tribes and making the, the way and, and establishing the of the kingdom of Israel and now he wants me to go to these people and and help them and warn them and get them to repent, to turn away. Man, why would he do that? Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to listen to God. Sometimes God asks us to do things we don't want to do it. I don't think so, God. I'm not going to do that. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my own country? He knew what was going to happen. Sure enough, he went to Nineveh. He preached a message of repentance. Lo and behold, they repented. God had mercy on them. The men, the women, the children. It even mentions the animals. But Balaam's not too happy about this. Or excuse me, Jonah. Blasting Nineveh, that would have been a great thing. <clears throat> Man, now, because of God's divine mercy, his compassion that he had shown on the people of, of, Nineveh, of Nineveh. Then, to settle him down a little bit, God gives him a... What does God give him? What does he provide to, to Jonah? Shame! Big old tree comes up, a bush. Uh, some people say a gourd. I don't know. Something comes up there to help him find refreshment. Settle down, Jonah. It'll be okay. But almost to just needle him one more time, God causes that plant to dries up. So now he's really angry. He's sitting there you know, I, I've come here. God made me come here. I, I did what he asked me to do. I still don't see why it's fair. Now this the only thing I've got going for me. He took it away too. And God talks to, to Jonah in, in a way that, you know, why shouldn't I have compassion on these people? Why shouldn't I withhold my anger on these these people who are lost. It's interesting how sometimes those of us who have found mercy withhold it from other people. 
We've forgotten just what it meant when we were set free, when we were declared righteous in the eyes of God. And yet we go around and you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, and boy, I wish you were like me. God takes uh, Jonah aside. You know, what are you, what are you doing here? Are you angry on sufficient grounds? Do you really have reason to be angry? Is your anger itself uh, a right thing? I love uh, Jen mentioned it this morning. We got all this stuff going on around here today, and boy, we really could have been angry about it, but nobody's angry about it. Who cares? The lights don't work. Big deal. You realize most Christian churches in the world today, I don't even think they have electricity. Or plumbing. Air conditioning. Fancy projectors. Mics. The whole thing. They're just meeting wherever they can. And they're worshiping God. They're proclaiming the good news. They're loving God. They're not allowing anger or a feeling of, you know, I've been cheated here. That's not stopping them. They want to continue to worship and to love God. Ephesians chapter 4 often is quoted when the, uh, the topic of anger comes up. We talked about this in our Sunday school class. It came up a few times in our men's Bible study. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. The Bible does not teach that being angry is a sin. We all get angry. It's a God-given emotion. It has a purpose. But the trick is to not allow it to give the devil an opportunity. One of my favorite athletes growing up was a football player by the name of Reggie White. Now I know we're getting a little further away. Some of you young people, who's the best Reggie White? You know, which I'm like, oh, he's one of the best football players ever. Anyways, he uh, he's also a very uh, active Christian, was not afraid to share the gospel, was not afraid to live that on the field. You might be asking, how can a football player and a Christian go together? That doesn't seem right. Well, one day in training camp, they were practicing, and these rookies had just come in, just had the draft earlier, and they came in. And they get them in drills, one-on-one drills, and, and usually... It's mostly technique. In other words, you're not supposed to really you know, hit anybody really hard. You're just footwork and hand placement. Well, Reggie White gets down in the stance, and he's a great big defensive lineman, and this rookie gets up over him. and they blow the whistle, and they hit, and the White just kind of, boom, the kid falls down. And the kid takes the Lord's name in vain. He starts swearing. Ah, blankety, blank, blankety. Reggie White said, what'd you say? What did you say? What about Jesus? And he says, you ain't seen Jesus. This guy, they make this kid get back in his stance. Reggie White is angry. He's like, you want to see Jesus? You're going to get Jesus. 
starts pounding on this guy, play after play after play. Met God yet? Was God good yet? Bam! Just letting him have it. Finally, the guy crawled out of the drill and was like, I'll never say that again. I'm sorry, Mr. White. As the season would go on, Buddy Ryan, who was the head coach, my knowledge not a Christian, but still, he would often ask Reggie in a tight game, he'd say, Reggie, is, is Jesus coming yet? Is Jesus coming? He said, Jesus is coming. And he'd get out there and he'd do his thing. There's a guy who had every opportunity, every chance to be angry, and yet not sin. He could have cussed the kid out. He could have done a lot of things. Instead, he, he taught him a lesson. He played football, and he beat that kid down. And at the same time, I always thought it was kind of cool. Here's Jesus. I'm not ashamed. Of, and the other veterans knew it. He's, he's honest. When he talks about Jesus, he means it. This isn't a show to him. Well, you know, I wish we could all be as brave as Reggie White and, you know, as powerful as he was, I guess. But <coughs> when should you keep your mouth shut if you're angry? It's always been a problem for me. I don't know about you. The Bible says in Proverbs, the fool always loses his temper. But a wise man holds it back. I wish I could be more wise. I'm not going to pretend that I'm the wisest man up here and I never get mad. I, you know, because, man, I've been in some really good arguments before. All because I couldn't keep my cool and I couldn't keep my mouth shut. Interesting story from the Bible. First uh, Peter... Peter's talking about what had happened that day at the crucifixion. He's reflecting on uh, what had happened to Jesus. And of course, Peter's the one who denied Christ. So he has a very vivid recollection of what's, what's going on. And when they hauled Jesus before uh, Herod, they were grilling him with questions. Who are you? I mean, why don't you tell us who you are? What's going on? You're the king of the Jews? What's some, what kind of king are you? And your people want you, they want, to, want you dead. Herod questioned Jesus almost to the point of mocking him, yet Jesus said nothing. Jesus kept his mouth shut. Now I often thought, well, that's because he's the son of God, and the son of God can do anything. And, you know, I can't ever do that. But I do believe, you know, at a moment like that, Jesus, who still had not yet been crucified, had to live a blameless, sinless life. He's being at the very last minute. The devil is still trying to get Christ to sin, to become like everybody else, to make his sacrifice worthless. Those soldiers, Herod, the the Pharisees were hurling insults at him, calling him every name in the book, goading him. Now, if it had been you or me, I probably would have stood up and said, hey, it all of you. Jesus didn't do that. Peter says, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example 
forgiven his debts, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. In other words, while he was getting bawled out and yelled at and made fun of, he didn't do likewise. He did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Kind of interesting, uh, Somehow these little stories and things just kind of popped to my head. Uh, we were down in Sunday school and Alice was talking about uh, something, something with her car this week. She cut somebody off and some kid was angry. He was throwing a fit. Just bawling her out. And she says, well, I really wasn't worried. I, I knew God would protect me. Uh, you know, so I just tried to defuse it the best I could. You, you, she entrusted herself to the God who judges righteously. I'm sure Mrs. Petrie could still bawl one of us out and make us feel bad. I, I know if she yelled at me, I probably would feel bad. It's interesting. Jesus and Paul both taught that anger is inappropriate. And it should be short-lived. If you're going to be angry... You know, don't hold it. You pass when the sun goes down. If you got it, you better get rid of it quick. But the interesting thing, both Jesus and Paul, they got angry and took action because of their anger. Both of them clearly became angry at times. I think used appropriately, anger is a gift from God. Anger is like the red alert emotion. Here we go. Something's not right here. Something is wrong. Injustice. Incoming. We have to deal with this. But being angry is not the same as, as taking action. I know Moses, when he was uh, uh, on the mountain and was receiving the Ten Commandments and put them on tablets and a host of other things, laws to keep the people going. And he was up there a while. Finally, he comes down off the mountain. And what are the people of Israel doing? The Hebrews are they're dancing around, worshiping a golden calf. Did Moses come down and say, well, we probably ought to pray about this, guys. I, I don't know if this is good or not. No, he came down off the mountain. He threw the tablets down. Drowned him up into powder and he made him put it in water. He made him drink it. You want to worship a golden cow? Bring me the cow. They melt it down, grind it up. Drink it. You wanted it. You got it. Be angry, yet do not sin. Be angry about the things that God gets angry about. Being angry, I don't think, is a sin. But what you do with it, now that might be a sin. You have to be careful. That's the trick. Being angry is not a sin. But what you do with it could be. <coughs> There's a little story about this, uh, this little boy who had a really bad temper. He'd throw a fit all the time. And he 
his father gave him a bag of nails and he said, here, here's what we're going to do. you got to get over this being angry. So take this bag of nails. Every time you lose your temper, I want you to go and, and drive one of these nails into the, into the post. That'll help you settle down so the boy's angry and he walks out to the post and he I feel better now and he walks on. This goes on for a while. First day, the boy had driven 37 nails into the fence. Eventually, he dwindled down. He started to discover, look, it's easier to hold my temper than it is to keep driving these nails into the fence. Finally, the day came when the boy didn't lose his temper at all. He told his father about it. He said, Dad, guess what? I didn't get mad one time today. I didn't yell at anybody. I didn't get angry with anybody. I didn't have to go drive a nail into the fence. So his dad looks at him and says, Hey, now what you do, um, for every day that you can keep your temper, you go pull one of the nails out of, out of the fence. Okay? So the kid walks up, pulls the nail out. There's one day. Next day goes by. Man, no anger today. Pulls another one out of the fence. This goes on for a while. The days pass, and the young boy was finally able to tell his father, Oh, the nails are gone! So the father takes his son by the hand and leads him to the fence. He said, You've done well, my son, but look at the holes in the fence. That fence is never going to be the same as it was before. When you say things in anger, they leave a scar, just like this one. You can put a knife in a man and draw it out. It won't matter how many times you say, I'm sorry, because the wound is, is still there. When we get angry with people, when we get angry with situations, as people of Christ, we need to remember to be like Christ. When he was reviled, he said nothing. Not because he was a wimp, because he was entrusting himself to God, because of his faith. When we lash back at people in anger, we're like, like that little kid with the, the post. You have it out with somebody, that relationship's never going to be the same. There's always going to be that little hole. Anger is not anything that's easy to, to deal with, it's a primal emotion. It's hardwired into our brain. The idea of, well, you, you can never get angry. You, you might as well not be human. We feel anger just as we feel joy, just as we feel sadness. These are emotions that God hardwired into our brains. Being angry is not a sin, but what you do with it, that might be a sin. We have to carefully think about and consider what we do before we speak, before we take action, before we do anything that would bring dishonor to the kingdom of God and leave somebody you know, like that closed. Well, it's been a, a, a crazy week here, and we'll see what happens next week. Maybe we'll get the power back on, who knows, but I do know this, whatever happens, people here love one another, and are going to be patient with one another as we sort out little nuisances like this.
Things come and go. Things happen. All we have to do is trust God. Be angry and sin not. That's a challenge for all of us. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this day and thank you for everyone who's come out today. And I know that all of us have had trouble with anger. and You know, it's something that you've given to us to help us you know, know when things aren't right and as a warning, but yet help us to master it, to get a handle on it so that we don't sin against you and, and hurt other people in the process. Father, we love you today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.